Okay, and welcome to Over the Top Football. I'm your host, Rob, and today I'm joined by our co-host, John. Yep, hi everyone. Uh, John, for the people at home, this is our first podcast ever, obviously. Uh, Can you describe in three words what you'd like this pod to be? Um, (laughs) I have no idea, but we'll go with, you know, friends chatting football. That's what that's about, right? It's it's football fans having their views on football matters, and uh, and we'll do it from the hopefully the least biased way possible. But you know we're always going to be biased for our own teams. Mine, of course, is Liverpool. You know, some people might already know that Rob's is Tottenham, but uh, yeah, we'll talk about all things football and uh, and keep it light, keep it fun, hopefully, and uh, yeah, and we'll we'll be very opinionated about all things all things that we talk about. Nice. And keeping it succinct there in just three words as well. Yep, 100%. That's what, uh, that's what you get for, for not prepping me properly. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll try to keep the rest of it succinct, short episodes, keep it to, you know, Arsene Wenger drills, 20, 20 minutes and no more. And uh, we'll see how that goes. Amazing. Um, so we've got two topics, two main topics to discuss today. Um, John, I mean, it's a pleasure having you for the second bit because it's England you mentioned that you didn't want to be biased there. Obviously, you not being an England football fan means that yeah. you can put some of my uh, delusion on hold, perhaps, which I think yeah. is a nice, a nice thing to do. But topic one we want to discuss, um, I don't know if people were aware, but this year's big year, World Cup, one m- unlike any other, with the first one being in winter this time because it's in Qatar. And what I wanted us to discuss today was underdogs. Um, I think that's always exciting. It's always one of the things I look out for first. It's who can win it, but then who also takes you by surprise? Who's the story? Who's the one that everybody gets behind when their team inevitably goes out? Um, so first up, John, what, uh, what do you actually think is an underdog? Um, so for me, for example, I don't think a true underdog can win this tournament. I don't think maybe Greece in 2004... You could argue Portugal in 2016, but those were both the Euros. I can't really ever remember a real, real underdog winning the World Cup. I don't know what you think about that. No, I mean, I agree. That's, for me, one of the reasons why international football just doesn't have that same buzz as, you know, club football. You're never going to see, you know, the same type of excitement that you'll see with Leicester winning the Premier League or Porto winning the Champions League. It just doesn't happen. Um, so for me, an underdog, it depends on the size of the nation, depends on the types of players playing for that nation. But when it comes to the World Cup, you know, it could be a quarterfinal run, could be a semifinal run. Um, you know, you'll know what it's like whenever a nation gets way further than you expect them to get and they all think it's coming home whenever it's it's definitely not. Um, it's, it's about the buzz that it gives the fans, isn't that right? It is, and it's nice <laughs> to see you getting shots in just after five minutes of our first podcast. Um, yeah. But I, I, I put here in our notes, I put um, 2002 World Cup, maybe it's because we're in our late 20s and it's the first one, certainly I can really remember, I'm sure it's the same for you, but Korea and Turkey both making it to the 2002 World Cup semi-finals is, I just think, elite football. That's what a World Cup should really be about. 
Yeah, well, no, I, I remember, I can remember 98 pretty well. Um, you but are a year older than me. Yeah, 2002 was special for me. That was the year where Republic of Ireland went on a pretty good run. And um, if it hadn't have been for some poor penalties, we would have beaten Spain in the last 16. So even that year, you know, Republic of Ireland, if we had it got to the quarterfinals, we would have had a, a, a winnable tie there. Um we, you know, but if you look at the rest of the 2002, even Senegal in that year, getting to the last 16 and beating France in the first game of the, the tournament, um, you know, those types of teams making those types of historical wins on the biggest stage possible. For me, Senegal run underdog uh, winner in that tournament. You know, even you even got off the back of it, the likes of Salif Jao and El Hadjouf getting big moves to the Premier League. So it depends on the size of the nation. Obviously, you're right with South Korea and um, Turkey doing you know incredibly well that year, but those teams are never ever going to win the World Cup realistically. Um, so it's about cheering on the underdogs as much as we possibly can and and trying to see them get as far as possible. But it's it's never really going to be the trophy, is it? Definitely. And I think what took Ireland so far in two thousand and two was their enthusiasm because they had Robbie and Roy Keane. No, no, don't get things mixed up. That was the tournament. Roy Keane got sent home before the tournament even started. So we didn't have Roy, we had Robbie. Uh, we, had, uh, yeah. we had Gary Breen, who was the... My absolutely the... terrible joke has now proven to not even be a factually <laughs> accurate terrible exactly, joke. Exactly, exactly. Whereas I, I, won't, I will not go wrong in England jokes later, but no, that year for us, Gary Breen came to the World Cup unattached with no club and was incredible. You know, we, we, we got a big result against Germany. We should have beaten Spain. We battered Azerbaijan. Um, and I believe it was Cameroon first game where Matty Holland scored from about 30 yards. So, yeah, that was a great, great tournament. And, but we rarely get to any of them, so that's why I remember it so well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you touched on uh, Senegal there, which I think is a great place to start because we both discussed this beforehand and discussed this as a team that we think are one of the best underdogs. Do you want to discuss a couple of the reasons why? Yeah, I mean... I think, like we've said, we'll talk about underdogs that we think could go a little bit further, right? But Senegal, for me, are in a, in a decent group coming off the back of success in the African Cup of Nations. They have a number of big, big players and big positions for them, and they have a decent spine. You know, Napoli's Mendy, obviously, at, at Leicester, and Idrissa Gay at Everton, you know, may not be the greatest players in the world for club level, but when they turn up for country, they turn up. Um, and the victory on the biggest stage in the African game would give them a lot of confidence coming into the World Cup, that big tournament experience. Uh, but you've got the likes of Edward Mendy, who's out to prove himself to try and get that number one slot back at Chelsea. You've got, you know, Koulibaly, who having big game experience in the Premier League will only help him coming into a big tournament like this. Uh, obviously, we know what Sadio Mane can do, and we don't really need to say much more than, than he's world-class, and he's proven that even by finishing second in the Ballon d'Or. But you've got other players, you know, Islam, Ismail Saar, uh, sorry, if I can say his name, is, is a player who just should not be playing in the championship. Um, so he'll be putting himself in the shop window yeah. to try and get a big move off the back of the World Cup and he'll be a crucial player for them. But I, I, I do think they will get out of the group. Um, and I think once they get out of the group, the likely person, team in the next round is England. Um, and I, I just feel like England are beatable. Uh, and we'll, we'll go into it, but I, I think that could, I mean, I would expect them to win that game. But, you know, we saw 
in the last World Cup, Colombia took you to penalties. Senegal could do the same, and you never know what could happen on the day. Um, but I think that you know they've got mixed form going into the tournament, but they have big game players there who understand what it's like to play on the biggest stage possible. And then you've got some exciting players coming into it who this is what the World Cup's about, right? It's about James Rodriguez type players who you know are doing it at club level, but on a, on a smaller stage, and then come to the largest stage and shine, right? So I mean, one player that I'm excited to see in a little bit more detail is is Dia. Um, who's playing up front for Senegal, has been playing in Syria, you know, at, I'll not even try to pronounce the name. Um, that's the one. Yeah, good mumble. Um, unknown, obviously, from Villarreal, good parent club. But, you know, in nine games, he's got four goals, two assists, um, coming into the tournament in good form. And obviously with quality players playing off him. So it's those types of players I'm interested to see. Can they do it on the biggest stage? And, you know, could they be the shock shock package of the World Cup, who knows? Yeah, definitely. And I think Mane provides star quality. I appreciate that some people will say he's not had the best start at Bayern. And then others will say, oh my God, Liverpool miss him so much. He's kind of a, he's kind of an interesting quantity this time round, but definitely in his national team colours, he leads the, leads the team, leads the shirt. I think it's interesting. Um, yeah, you mentioned players like Deer coming through as well. I think with a couple of our shouts here, you have four underdogs. You have the older guard, the ones that you can rely on, but then you have the guys coming through as well. The Like you say, the ones playing for their transfers, playing for their futures. Yeah. Um, just on the point with the groups, I do, I do agree. I think Senegal's group, um, you expect them maybe to finish behind the Dutch. Um, yeah. And then you have Qatar and you have Ecuador as well. Those are very winnable games, obviously. Um, it helps being in a group with Qatar as top seed. Um, and like you say, their path afterwards is England. Um, so if you have to call that now in the last 16, England-Senegal, what would you think? I mean, you have, you have, to, you have to pick England. You have to think that England would have enough to beat Senegal, but... Um, you just never know. And like I said, you know, you, you guys thought you had a great tournament last time around, but, you know, if Colombia are taking you to penalties, you know what it's like on penalties. Anyone can win. I think Senegal will go under the radar. The point you made about Mane, you know, he's obviously moved to a new club. He's getting used to a new league, but he knows this Senegal team. He knows how to play and he knows how to lead them. So I think you'll you'll see him back to his best with at the World Cup with the team that he knows and he's played with three years. My head says it's, England, my heart says Senegal. I would love to see them go beyond what they did in 2002. Um, I think it's it's unrealistic, but I think if they were able to get to the quarterfinals, then you know that's a significant underdog story. 100%. And I think one thing that's very interesting, I, I was telling people this um, whilst I was in South America recently and they were giving me England's World Cup chances. And it sounds so simplistic, but I think International football is clearly a level down from club football. You don't get to build the automatisms. Uh, the players don't work with each other as often. Whole mm. squads from uh, meet-up to meet-up can be different. Um, so little things count a lot more. And I think one thing that will punish a team like England is it's going to be hot. I know it's the winter, yeah. but it's still going to be 30-degree kind of pitches. It's going to be difficult to play an aggressive style of running pressing football it's going to yeah. suit passing teams much more or 
and this is why I, re- I mention it for Senegal, places where the players are used to playing in hot conditions. I know that sounds super, super simplistic, but if you go to extra time in the last 16 after you've just played four days ago, these kind of things do matter, I think. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's whenever you, you look at the the fixtures in South America and you see teams going to Bolivia and get battered, it's all about, you know, playing at a different altitude. So playing in a different temperature and playing in a different type of environment will have a significant impact, especially when there's there's no build-up. I mean, there's no camp in beforehand where they get used to, to what it's like over there. It's straight in. Um, so it's a good point. And, yeah, I think you could see teams react negatively or start slow. Um, and what you're saying in terms of international football being a level below, I think we've we've discussed it in the past and we'll probably do our own episode on the flaws of international football. Um, but, I mean, it sort of brings us on maybe to the next underdog in terms of, you know, whenever you lack time, you lack preparation, you lack time together, something that you really need coming into an international tournament is togetherness. And we saw that in the Euros um, with Denmark based on an experience that, you know, we hope we'll never, ever have to see again on a football pitch. But there's no doubting that the experience that they had in the Euros last year with Christian Eriksen brought that team together. And I think Denmark, for me, are the second underdogs that we need to look out for because we, we've seen it at every level of sport, right? If a team is together and there's a morale within the squad, it's difficult to understand how you can stop them, right? So... For me, it sort of goes on to our next underdog that maybe you want to go into a bit of more detail on. But Denmark, I think, are a team to watch in this tournament as well. For sure. And what a beautiful speech I was uh, tearing up, hearing you read the, say the things about togetherness. Um, but I do agree. Um, and yeah, like we say, got to the semifinals of the Euros. Again, they were in extra time. England, who were the hosts as well, which is a significant advantage. Maybe if that game had been in Denmark with England away, you never quite know how that one would have swung. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you had had half-decent referees doing VAR, it could have swung in a different direction as well, but um, we'll, we'll go swiftly past that bit. <laughs> well, I, so I think Denmark are an interesting one. Again, it's where do you put success? Like, success for Denmark, I think, is absolutely getting to a last eight you could argue potentially even last 16 like they are a small country yeah in the footballing world by pretty much every measure that you put it previous history i know they have one euros win but that was by all accounts a freak mm-hmm. um they're a small country small population um they don't have loads of stars at the minute certainly yeah. stars that shine brightest are probably christine erickson you have yeah. uh Hoiberg as well um, yeah. maybe Simon Kijar, um, Kasper yeah. Schmeichel. They're some names, but they're not exactly uh, huge names. But no, quite, it's, quite... it's not like the Belgium setup as it was over the last decade. You know, it's not like a team where you've got world-class players in nearly every position and you're expecting them to do something. You have really good, solid professionals playing for a, a team that looks connected. Um, but there's just a feeling whenever you watch them play. I mean, I watched them in the last uh, round of Nations League games and they got beat by Croatia and they weren't great. But then the next performance against France, they were incredible and they beat them 2-0. So it, for me, it shows that on their day, this Danish team can beat whatever's put in front of them. But, you know, you know what it's like with international football and exactly what you've said about the climate out there. 
it just needs to be their day. Um, but it's another another team that I think will get out of the group, and I think you know we can go in a bit more detail. But I think there's also players in this team that that are out to prove themselves, um, and will be sort of putting themselves in a shop window as well. But Definitely. Uh, so so one you mentioned on that point, John, is uh, Joaquin Mela. Um, I'll let you discuss him in a little bit more detail, but for a defender, get this right, internationally, he's got 31 caps and nine goals. Yeah. What do you like about him? Yeah, the system they set up for them, they, you know, in the Euros, they had him playing at a wing back um, and he was just direct. He was one of those players, like we've already sort of touched upon, that came out of nowhere, wasn't playing at the, the standard that you would see English players or German players playing at. You know, it was a proper Danish international who played at a an okay club, um, but he performed incredibly well throughout the whole tournament. Was defensively solid, was offensively very very dangerous, um, and off the back of that, obviously he got his move to Atlanta, and he's continued on that way. He's been a regular within that team. There was links with him going to Spurs, um, and I think he'll probably be a player that would suit the English league, would suit the the style in terms of he can play as a fullback. He can play as very, very, very well as a wing back as well, um, and we see more and more clubs sort of drifting in and out of those different formations. So I think he would fit the the Premier League style quite nicely, and he'll probably want to put himself in a position to to get one of those moves in the near future um, and get into the Premier League. But he's obviously playing at an incredible standard at Atlanta. But you know what it's like when a Premier League club come, comes knocking at the door, especially some someone like Spurs. You know, he would certainly be interested. And I think this is a, a perfect opportunity for him to build upon what he already did at the Euros. Definitely. I think following uh, Tottenham's performance against Manchester United last night, I'm ready to wave the white flag and get <laughs> some new blood into the team for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, Perisic, awesome player, just didn't quite look at it last night, unfortunately. Um but yeah, I think uh, I think Denmark's squad. Obviously, you don't. It's not like you buy players in international football. You kind of have to put up and deal with what you've got. But they've got a really nice age profile. Mm-hmm. World Cups tend to be won by teams with average ages of around the twenty-eight mark, and a lot of their key players are in and around that um, that age. Hoiberg at twenty-seven, Eriksson at thirty, Christiansen twenty-six, Joachim Andersson twenty-six. You've got use of Paulson at 28. So I think their age profiles really, really nicely. Um, yeah. And also some dogs like Christian Norgard, for example. Mm. How much he'll play, I don't know. But my God, that is one of the most underrated players in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's difficult to say how much he'll play, but it's a type of thing, you know, if he played for a bigger club, which I think he absolutely could do, would he get more game time? Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got players in there, as you've touched upon. You've got the likes of Damsgaard, who struggled with injury last year, is at Brentford now, will want to prove himself on the biggest stage again, like he did last summer. But they've got a a really strong squad, like I said, that you know when there isn't a camp in advance of a big tournament where players can come together, you know, build, bond, you know, put together that team ethos. There's not that time, and the Danish team have that in abundance. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. Definitely. And just looking at their group here as well, so you have uh, France, you have Denmark, and I believe it's Tunisia. My Google search is still set to Spanish, therefore I'm getting <laughs> Spanish versions of countries. 
Yeah. So Tunez, I don't know, maybe one of our about five viewers will be able to tell me, but I'm guessing that's Tunisia. Yeah, um, I'll, one of those five viewers. Mom, if you're if you're listening, um, if you can go ahead. No, I think I think they're starting to get out of the group, right? Um, and it's whether they have the ability to to better France again. Um, you're just yeah. never certain about the French team going into big tournaments, um, especially when their you've got the egos. Um, but form is all over the shop at the moment. Yeah, I just don't I don't know about that squad. But so you could see them potentially beating France, but if they don't, you know, I would back them to finish second, get out of that group, and then you you've probably got Lionel Messi and, and the Argentine team in, in the second round or in the last sixteen. And it, um like I said with this this Danish team, they can beat anyone on their day. Oh yeah. I mean I, we'll probably do another episode on favourites. I think Argentina yeah. are shaping nicely, so it's a lot to ask Denmark to beat them. But you could argue if Denmark, say, win that group, um, yeah, then that's that's a huge achievement with a big name like France in there. And I'll say this quietly as well, no hate, but I think Australia might be the worst team at this tournament. Um, yeah. I mean, who, who are Australia going to beat? You know, back in the day, you used to see Tim Cahill and you used to just want to see him score and start punching the, the head of the corner flag. Like yeah. they've had they've had names, but it's been a while since big ones have come out of Australia. Aaron Moy. Mm-hmm. I mean, Aaron, don't 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 knock Aaron Moy. He's doing a good job at Celtic this summer. But I agree, it's it's not at the type of standard they used to have with Cahill, Viduka, Kuehl, yeah. you know, Mark Schwarzer, um, L- Lucas Neal. Is that the right nationality? Um, but yeah, I mean, they were always had decent. Decent Premier League players, obviously Viduka and Kuehl were the top level, um, as was Tim Cahill. But yeah, you, you, I would be shocked to see them even potentially get a point at this tournament. But I'd love to be proved wrong. But yeah, I don't see them anywhere near the knockout stages of the tournament. Yeah, agreed. Um, which brings us on to our last underdog pick. Now, as soon as I suggested this one, I think you were all over it too. Yeah. Um, which, despite their form, which is Certainly not bad, but it's not it's not necessarily semi-finals of the World Cup good. But this is probably the one out of our three I would be hottest on getting to that stage. And yeah. that's Uruguay. Yeah. Um, I think if you look at the spine, it's full of... Um, they're not necessarily the world's biggest names, but there's ones in there that everybody would recognise and be like, oh, maybe thought he was Argentinian or something, but you've got Mozzarella mm-hmm. and Net, Araujo in defence. Uh, ex-Liverpool Quatez, who's rebuilt his career quite nicely in centre-back as well. Yep. People like Diego Godin. Uh, you've got Fede Valverde. We'll come on yeah. to him shortly, I'm sure. Vitino, Bentanka, Nunes, Suarez, Cavani. It's stacked with some slightly more over-the-hill names than they'd like coming into this. But actually, I'm really quite excited by three players who, it'd be harsh to say that they're coming through, but they're all between 23 and 25, and I think they're coming into the right age at a nice time. Yeah, no, I would agree. And I think, I mean, some of the, the players that we might touch upon here will have will have had okay seasons. I mean, like Darwin Nunes hasn't really got off the, um, you know, starting blocks for Liverpool, really. But I think we're saying that based on the expectation that's there. But as a, what I've seen in the short time that he's been at the club, I think there's some incredible um, talent there, and I he'll 
grow into an incredible player at for the for Liverpool. Um, so, there's, but but yeah, I mean, you want to go on to. I mean, Valverde for me could could be up there for player of the tournament if he performs how he can perform. Oh, that is that is a spicy comment. So Valverde, um, I'm not sure if you saw this at the start of the season, but Carlo Ancelotti said basically you need to rescind his coaching license <laughs> if Fede Valverde doesn't score ten goals this year. Um, yeah. He's already got six, mm-hmm. so he's well, well on the way. And I think. Um, probably where he got his flowers a little bit more from a UK, from a Premier League audience, was in the Champions League final. I think he did a stunning job despite being put on the right wing, which isn't really his position. Um, But my God, that man is an effective shuttler, for want of a better word. Running with the ball, running off the ball. Um, Not to to dwell too much on this, because I know it was a bad day for Liverpool, but what did you make of his performance in that game? Yeah, as you said, he was incredible. He was non-stop. He was great on the ball. He was great offensively, defensively. Um, I mean, we can talk about offensively because one moment obviously stands out more than the others. And um, it was the assist for the goal. And everyone will talk about, you know, did Van Dijk do enough to block the cross? Probably not. Um, did Trent do well enough at the back post? Arguable. But he's put the perfect ball in on a plate for Vinicius um, that's won them the game and got them the well, probably 26th Champions League trophy in their history but um, yeah what an incredible player and and I think the likes of Ancelotti incredible man management um, from him and he's an incredible man manager as we've read about many different times but the target that he set him clearly he's trying to get the best out of him um, but it'll be interesting to see what he's like in this World Cup where he'll be expected to be a leader amongst this team um, even with the likes of Suarez in the squad, but yeah, I think I think he's he's got the ability to be one of the best players in the world for me, and I think this tournament could be the perfect opportunity to prove that. Definitely, and the word I've put down to describe him is he's malleable. Like he's only twenty four, yeah. so and and you know what I mean by that, right? He can be anything he wants to be. Ancelotti's trying to make him more of a goal scoring midfielder this year. That makes sense when your other two players at the minute, the ones that you're building for the future, are Kamavinga and Chuameni, who um, maybe are more skilled in the defensive and possession ends of play. Maybe you do need someone to be more of your end product in that midfield three. So um, he is good enough to make him what you want. I think he's a he's a coach's dream, really, in that in that um, aspect. Um, so on that, uh, you briefly mentioned Nunez. Um, mm. and weren't necessarily too hot on him, which I get having watched him against City at the weekend, for example. But yeah, yeah. I mean, people, people will talk about Yeah, Let me people... finish on this because I'm not sure if you saw the Sky Sports graphic, but he's got the highest non-penalty XG in the league. He's got the number one for shots per game. And I think it was something like he's got the most number of touches in the opposition uh, area per 90. So yeah. whilst the numbers aren't catching up with his expected stats, there's a player there. Oh yeah, there's a massive player there, um, and I think the city gives a perfect example of where he's at in his Liverpool career, right? Because don't don't think about the time he had about forty seconds to pass the ball to Salah, or when he got one on one with Ederson, and I don't really know what he did. Um, the ability that he has and the stuff that he has that is untrainable. Um, uncoachable in terms of 
his positioning, his natural positioning, his ability to get past a player at ease, right? He's the nearest thing that I've seen to Suarez in terms of that, where Suarez would have bundled past players, got past them every time. Um, and that's something you can't teach. It's just, you know, he's very young. He's quick. You know, he, he clocked up the quickest time in the Premier League yesterday. He's got bundles of ability. He's got bundles of potential. But we're looking at his price tag. We're comparing him to Holland, And that's not where he's at at this point in time. But he's got so much that you need to be a world-class centre-forward. And I think Jurgen Klopp will get the most out of him. Um, but I think this tournament will come at a good time for him to get away from the club scene, to get back. His stats for Uruguay aren't incredible. Um, he's been played out wide a little bit rather than through the middle because you've got Cavani, you've got Suarez, and he offers that ability to come in from the left-hand side and get shots off as well. Um, I think you'll see a good showing from him. Um, I would be shocked if we're talking about Darwin Nunes at the end of the tournament rather than, than Valverde or some of the other players on show, but I think it's a good opportunity for him to get away, get game time, put the ball in the back of the net a few times and help his country get as far as possible. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think I'm hotter on him. I only saw highlights of the uh, Liverpool game last night. Nunez scored the winner, what turned out to be the winner. Um, but he looked awesome. Direct yeah. shots off. Um, for me, he is almost the uh, the next embodiment of what a Cavani can be. Um, yeah. Just looking at Uruguay's last lineup, they actually paired uh, Nunez and Suarez as a two up top which I think is a much better strategy for them in Qatar because um, Suarez, as much as you love him, his, his legs have seen better days now. So having someone a bit more dynamic up there works. Um, yeah. A player, I think, I think uh, we've, we've certainly discussed Uruguay at quite length, but Araujo is another player. Um, I wanted to kind of mention a striker, a midfielder and a centre-back. I think mm-hmm. there's a good case to say that he's probably Barcelona's best centre-back certainly before Kunde's played too many games for the club. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm hot on Uruguay. Uh, they got to the quarterfinals of the last Copa America, which isn't that great, but they only went out to Colombia on penalties. Beating Colombia on penalties clearly isn't for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but their form, their form's interesting. They've won yeah. three, drawn one and lost one. They've had victories. This is the last five games. They've had victories over Mexico, Canada and Chile all of them by at least two goals. Um, the one they lost came to Iran, who are a little bit better than a lot of people going into this tournament will give them credit for. Yeah. But agreed. that's interesting, I think. That means they're a bit of a wild card team who, if you put up Uruguay versus Mexico, I expect Uruguay to win that game, which I'm not sure you could have always said yeah. in past World Cups. Yeah, well, I'll even, I'll go bolder, right? You've got a group of Portugal, Ghana, South Korea, and Uruguay. I believe Uruguay will win that group. Um, Portugal, obviously, are coming into the tournament. Loads of massive players. They'll likely have Ronaldo up front, which you know is potentially... You don't know what you're getting. You don't know whether it's going to be a help or a hindrance at this point um, with the way in which football's going and what we've seen at, at United at the minute. But they're, they're also struggling a bit with some injuries. I mean, the Diogo Jota injury is going to be massive for them. Um, you know, other players who are significantly important to them aren't having as good a season as, as we would expect. Um, I think that will be an incredibly interesting group because if Uruguay can win that group, then, yeah, we could be talking about a significant underdog opportunity. Definitely. Um, so 
I don't think that's going further. I actually have them down as to win that group too. Uh, mm. Portugal are quite a good tournament team under Fernando Santos. They've been, uh, I mean, obviously they've won the Nations League. They've yeah. won uh, the 2016 Euros. So they've overperformed per se. And they have quite a good stack of talent in that team as well. Yeah. But what they're very good at is drawing or grinding out a game from memory in the Euros. I think they might have, might have drawn all three of their group games. Um, yeah. So they only got three... Yeah, three draws. So it's perfect for knockout football. It doesn't strike me as a team who can necessarily go and win that group. So if Uruguay-Portugal is a draw, I have more confidence in Uruguay beating the other two teams in the group than I do in Portugal. Yeah, um, agreed. agreed. And then, yeah, their, their potential route to the final, Uruguay. I mean, we'll discuss this for England because I think it's more exciting and more exciting for our mums and the rest of our three viewers. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they they potentially have quite a nice run. Um, yeah. So let's get on to that. So topic two, England squad. Um, I think we'll try and keep things quite brief on this um, just because this is an ever-changing thing. Unfortunately, things in two weeks or whenever Southgate exactly needs to pick his squad will look yeah. different. Um, but one interesting article you showed me this week was that there was an inside scoop saying Southgate might name 55 players. Yeah. What's yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. He's probably, you know, of the 55, there'll be 15 right backs. Um, <laughs> I have no idea what it's about. You you can back me up. I've been a Southgate out from the second he walks through the door. Um, I don't get it. I don't get how he can... Get the England job. Um, you know, his credentials in football is getting medals for relegated. I don't understand it. Um, and I'm not shocked by the article either, but I think it's an exciting England team. Um, and I think some of the injuries, I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't say it would play in England's hands at all, but I think it, it opens the door for some interesting players to come in. Um, I think we'll, we'll likely do another podcast breaking down the England squad in a more detailed basis. Um, but I think, I mean, I think if England can get on a run of things, they they have a decent chance, but I, I could never see them win that. And I think if they got to the semi-final, it'd be good. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be it'll be difficult to to pick the 20, 26 man squad. Um, it is you always you always fifty five apparently. Yeah, exactly. You you always want to see. Um, I mean, you always want to see new blood coming into it, right? You always want to feel World Cup announcement. You're not going to get it, but you always want to see that type of thing. But uh, yeah, I. This England squad would be more interesting with the likes of Kyle Walker looking to be out, with Reese James likely to be out, um, and some other niggly injuries sort of floating around with the likes of Calvin Phillips, who won the Player of the Year for England last year. So it's it's going to be an interesting squad, um, and you'll probably have more passion around the the pick of it. I have some rogue shouts looking at it, you know, from a. Club perspective, from a form perspective, that I think could play their way into the squad, and um, based on what Southgate has previously done, um, and we can go into detail about that um, now or or a separate episode, whatever you think. I I think we should maybe discuss some of the recent uh, key parts to this, and on yeah. the proviso that we do our twenty six man squad next episode, I think. Um, yeah. Going through the full 26 now might be a bit uh, a bit too much, but we can maybe 
drop a couple of spoilers and um, some of the things that need to be discussed, I think. So the yeah. first one you mentioned, quite right, you've been a Southgate hater. I'm not a hater. I've quite liked the job that he's done. I thought in 2018, just the vibe. I think, A, he carries himself very well as a human being. It's completely different to being a good football coach. But yeah. if you give me... Um, an England manager, I would rather a Southgate type than someone who's, I don't know, a bit homophobic or someone like that. Um, so he carries himself very well. He's brought the vibe of the team together nicely. Like the yeah. players clearly buy into him. There's clearly been positive attitudes at tournaments where mm. there hasn't been before. Um, but I do now think with that poor performance in the Nations League, this World Cup almost defines his legacy. Whatever he does, if he wins the thing, he should leave afterwards because if he wins, it doesn't get any better. Um, it's a lot of scrutiny. It's very difficult. And no one's hot on England right now. So to a yeah. certain extent, the last eight defines a solid tournament and the last four defines a really good tournament. And yeah. that, to me, then says Southgate was a good manager. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with a lot of your points. Um, so to touch upon this performance and how he's done in the previous tournaments, you look at semi-final of the World Cup, for example, and you look at finalists in the Euros. And the, on paper, that's incredible in terms of what England can do in comparison to what they've done in the past. But I still think their opportunity is lost. <laughs> I think, you know, if you look at the Croatia team, you look at the, the way in which that game was played, that was a winnable game. If you had got beat by France... Obviously, that French team that won the World Cup last time around were incredible and, and absolutely deserved to win it. Um, but then you look at the Euros as well. It was such a winnable game. But I, I think tactically, Southgate is a little bit inept for this stage. Um, I'm sort of used to, you know, and it should be the greatest manager in England as the, the England you know, national coach, right? And I've had a debate that, Thomas Tuchel's there. He plays at the five at the back and he plays the same formation that England have played for years and he's actually managed a few of the players to the Champions League victory. I, I wouldn't, if I was in charge, I would certainly look at that as an option, but um, following the Nations League relegation. But I, I also agree with your points around his ability to get the squad together, right? Whether that's tactically getting the best out of them. Um, I would have liked to have seen what Southgate as a manager could have done with the sort of 2000 and two to 2010 group where there clearly was numerous divides in the group it would have been really interesting to see what he what he could have done and um, that type of manager with the type of um southgate approach could have done with the team in that era uh, but i think with this era where you've got so many tactically astute players so many world-class and on the on the very much on the border of world-class players who are you know real real talents like phil foden like Mason Mount, even like Jack Grealish, like Trent. So I think it's never been able to get the most out of them. So that's my flaw with them. I, I've, I've never been a, an Irish fan that, you know, dislikes England because they're England at any point. Um, I've always supported, you know, Gerard because he was English. And I always wanted to see Gerard do well. Johnson, Sturridge, um, Murphy, Owen. But I sort of feel a bit out of place with this England team because how Trent's been treated and he's just been mismanaged. And it's the same with James Madison. It's yeah. you know, the same from the players tactically. Else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think that's the, the stance that Liverpool fans have taken in, in defence of him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I have, I, I agree with all your points. Um, but I think this World Cup 
really could have been something that England could have done something that. And I'm I'm talking as if they're right already. But um, literally, I mean, with recent form, perhaps you could say it. So I think maybe a good way just to um, kind of finish this, I guess, is I'm going to give you three things that I think are negatives for England and three things that I think are positive things for hope. And yeah, maybe maybe we kind of go through and discuss all of those. I'll start with the negatives because who the hell wants to finish on negative on positive uh, on negatives? Yeah. yeah. So defense, um, form issues, Maguire, Shaw, injuries to Walker, Stones, um, James. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the defense right now? Is there some obvious solves? Um, it's difficult because you're relying on, at the minute, the way the Southgate's set up, you're relying on five players in those positions, right? And you're missing three minimum, you know, really significant players, three injury, as you would expect to go into this tournament with Reese James, Kyle Walker at right wing back and John Stones in the middle. And you would have expected Harry Maguire on the left. So you're automatically looking at four players out of the back five who are injured and will likely miss the tournament or completely out of form and should not even be in consideration for it. So do you stick with the five at the back? Do you change formation? Which I don't think he'll do because I think he sort of, you know, falsely tested that during the Nations League and it didn't work with the wrong players. The Um, one thing I'll give him, and I don't know whether this is yet to put the criticism or to put the, uh, yeah, in his favour, is that he's going to go out doing it his own way. Everybody says that, that don't listen to everyone else. Just do what you think is best. And you might be right or you might be wrong. And Southgate does that. Unfortunately, most people don't disagree with him. Uh, most people do disagree with him. So yeah. they hammer him for it. But at least he's had the confidence to do what he wanted to do. Yeah, I would agree. And I would, I would disagree with some parts. I think he's very set on his formation, which I think has positives and negatives to it in terms of the style of play and the, the setup. Um, he came into the role... For me, he came into the role and it was like breath of fresh air saying he was going to pick players on form and not on who they played for. And I think he's went significantly backwards on that. Um, But yeah, I mean, in terms of if you're playing that formation based on form and availability, Eric Dyer's assert for me. Um, Tomori needed to be given a bigger opportunity in the last run of games because he should be assert, but, you know, doesn't look like it at this point. Um. And then it's about trying to get creative with the other spots, isn't it? Um, but I think you're, you're looking at Trippier will likely come in um, and it's about filling who are going to be the back three. Maguire will be one of them, um, yeah. even if undeserved. And it's who's going to sit in the central role and who's going to take on the right-sided centre-half sort of Definitely. position as well. Well, we'll do that another time. So that that's negative number one is defence. That, that means I don't think England are a team who are going to win this. World mm. Cup, get that way. Number two, midfield, light. I think in the last squad, there was something like only six midfielders actually, um, or even five, put into the squad. Um, yeah. And then one bizarre thing happened, which Henderson, who wasn't in the original 26-man squad, ended up coming in as a substitute. Um, yeah. To me, this is an easy fix with playing someone, well, um, you can bring in someone like Ben White who can do a job in defensive midfield as well. I'm not saying you make him do it, but who can give you some cover. And Madison's a quite easy pick for me as well to help build out 
that and maybe gives you the chance to play 4-3-3. Um, yeah. But what do you think on England's midfield uh, lack of depth? Yeah, I, I I agree with you. And on 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 first look, it looks significantly. You know, there looks like a significant problem in terms of the the numbers that are there because because of the formation that's been set up. They've been playing two defence midfielders with Rice and with Phillips, and that was the go to and sort of non negotiable. And Phillips has been injured. You know, hasn't been getting a run of games. Looks like they might need another opportunity. Um, you know the midfield is light and could be deemed a negative, but you've also got probably the most exciting young midfielder in world football in Jude Bellingham, and it gives him a significant opportunity to be thrown in. Um, we'll, but, we'll come to him in positives, John. We'll come to him in yeah. positives. But I think, yeah, you've got a lack of depth based on the requirement for two defensive midfielders, and a defensive midfielder role is difficult to find someone at the top level. Um, a few years ago, Henderson could have done a job if Phillips was out, but it's, you know, can you... Can you rely on James Ward-Prowse to do the role? You know, you certainly can't throw Mount into that role. And we've sort of talked about the formation already. It looks unlikely to go to a 4-3-3, even though, you know, the idea of Rice, Bellingham, Mount slash Foden sounds incredible, but is is probably unlikely. Um, yeah. So I do think the lack of midfield depth in that sort of CDM role is important and could be deemed a negative. Um, but obviously, as we've touched upon, could be a significant opportunity as well. Um, and my final, my final negative for England again, something that kind of puts me off, putting them as a, an underdog, as we maybe did for some of our other ones, we're a bit more positive on, is <laughs> just the route, the route to get there. Realistically, um, I know nobody's this hot on England that they're putting them as a winner. But I think we're ranked number five by uh, FIFA at the minute. Like England should go into tournaments thinking they've got a chance. Mm-hmm. But if they top the group, Senegal, France, Belgium, Brazil—that's their—that's uh, their finals route. Yeah. If they yeah. come second, Netherlands, Argentina, Brazil, France. Uh, yeah. Given that and the form of the recent Nations League, um, I would say in the A side, England are worse than France. And worse yeah. than Brazil, clearly. And Senegal and Belgium are good games; could go either way. Yeah. And then in the uh, in the B side, England probably lose the Netherlands, Argentina, Brazil, and France. Yeah, I'd agree. I think I think England will stumble at the quarterfinal stage this year. Um, I think the last two tournaments that they've been at, which is sort of what I touched upon, opportunity lost, is they've had really good runs to the final, and they've been unable to really take advantage of it. And this tournament doesn't look like it's going to give them that, you know, that route this time round. And I think they, uh, yeah, I mean, you you wouldn't fancy facing um, France and then Brazil in back-to-back games. But you never know. Obviously, they got a week in Germany team in the Euros um, and they did a really, really good job on them. So you just don't know. Definitely. Um, so we'll move on to positives. So that has made me think that England are going to go out in the group stage. But because <laughs> we all like to go into a World Cup thinking football's coming home um, and it can pop over a trip to Ireland as well so you can see the Jules Ramey for yourself. Um, let's go into positives. Number one, we've touched on it, Jude Bellingham. Um, three goals in the Champions League as a teenager. That's the most of any English teenager, I believe. He's yeah. captaining Dortmund in the Champions League at 19 this year. Um, what can he bring to this England side 
And um, how do you think he will fare this tournament? Um, if given the opportunity, he could be England's player of the tournament. That's how highly I rate him. Um, I think he's got everything. He could play a six. He could play an eight. He could be a ten. Um, he can pass. He can run. He can shoot. He is an all-round player. And moving and getting out away from the English media was probably the best decision he made as such a talented 16-year-old. Um, he's obviously thriving at Dortmund. What he probably hasn't experienced to date is that English media attention that he will get in the World Cup. But I think he seems like a proper, proper star. And um, yeah, sitting alongside someone of the ilk of, uh, of, the ilk of Declan Rice in that midfield, he should thrive. Um, we just hope that the you know the sort of negative style of play that, in my opinion, has sort of been England over the last eighteen months uh, would hold them back. But I don't think it will. If you're playing as a midfielder with the ability to run at defenses at the other midfielders, and you've got Saka on one side and Foden on another, and Kane through the middle, he should thrive, and I think he will. Definitely, I think he's England's. Well, I think what worked so well for England in Euro 2020 was um, both Rice and um, Phillips are players who are capable of um, doing the defensive work, but also yeah. um, carrying or passing the ball through from defence to attack. I think mm-hmm. the days of kind of having one Perlo-esque figure who does it are kind of gone. Like, again, mm-hmm. maybe less so in international football because it is a weaker standard, yeah. but the ability to be able to have two players who can do it so you don't just have one man man marked out of the game I think is massive and I think that's a huge thing that Jude Bellingham's rise to prominence over the last couple of years is definitely bringing us um okay cool the second point I want to mention a couple of weeks ago in the Champions League so I watched Chelsea versus AC Milan it's a little bit of a shame that Reese James is now in a um fight to make it but yeah. dominant performance from Chelsea 3-0 and that night in the Champions League Bellingham James and Grealish all one man of the match uh, Potter ball is coming at Chelsea Mason Mounts looked very good yeah. and Harry Kane eight goals in ten in the Premier League that's I believe his best ever start England actually for their clubs at least have a few players in form don't forget about Foden Foden's been incredible this season. Saka's been incredible this season. Has been incredible. That is a good yeah. point to see. Saka's been incredible as well. Um, for a team sitting top of the table, uh, and you can even look at Ben White at right back. You know, everyone's talking about Trippier, Trent, uh, James, and Walker, but you know, the right back who's been playing very well and is top of the league right now is Ben White. So there is loads of ways in which England should be happy. I think this is probably the best form that Pickford's been in going into a big competition as well. Um, yep. So, yeah, I think there's loads and loads of reasons as to why England should be happy. I think we'll, everyone will talk about the injuries going into it and the lack of form of Maguire and, and Shaw more so at the start of the season than now because they play for such a massive club. But there's a lot of players really really on form going into this this tournament for England and it's just can they get enough out of them, themselves in a short period of time with different formations um, we'll wait and see but I think yeah in terms of the, the form going in probably the one player you've touched upon Potterball the one player I watched the same game the Chelsea AC Milan match you know your best player in the last tournament was Raheem Sterling um, 
does he deserve his chance? Does he deserve to start based on the form of the other players around him? And, uh, you know, what will we see of him? I was going to say this summer, but this winter at the World Cup. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on him. Yeah, Sterling's a funny one because he came in, obviously, fairly big price tag. I actually do think Chelsea get quite a bargain for that. To only pay around £50 million for a player with Sterling's experience and goals is sensational. He's um, still only, still only what, 27? Yes, but I did see, and it's a really good point, actually, because Sterling played so much football as a teen, how yeah. old does, and he's a winger with pace, how old does Sterling age? And, yeah, no, um, I, I agree with that point. I actually think a very, very similar thing happened with Genie Van Album. Uh, he obviously played for Feyenoord when he was around 16, and I think his legs are now extremely heavy. Um, and we could see a similar type of thing whenever Sterling hits 29, you see a significant decrease the way that happened with Rooney. So, um, yeah, you know, he Rooney, obviously retired early. Owen, um, there's there's countless examples who it happens to. Um, yeah, and I think, so it's interesting with Sterling. I don't think he's been electric this season. Um, like he's not. I don't think he's come to Chelsea and been the roaring main man in one of the best teams. Well, they are one of one of the best teams in the league, but they haven't yeah. kind of set their stall out to be we're Man City's challengers. Yeah. Um, or, and, I mean, by all accounts, Arsenal's challengers. Arsenal have stormed it so far this season. So, um, But for England, he delivers. So he yeah. would be in my starting lineup um, if it was me. And I think Southgate puts him in his starting lineup too. So he's... He's kind of one of those players where I expect him to score a couple of goals maybe in the tournament. Yeah, I don't think he'll be quite as a leading man as he was in the Euros for England, particularly yeah. until Kane kind of sorted his form out a bit. But he's he's good to have around, experienced player. Um, yeah, not too much more to say on him. I think he's a nailed-on pick. Yeah, well, I think we... Yeah, in the next episode, we'll obviously go into our 26-man squad, our personal starting 11s. Um, you know, I think even in the last tournament, we had you know Sterling going in. People didn't think he deserved to start, and I think it's probably the same case this time around, um, even though he was incredible in the last tournament. Uh, but it's the players behind him that you look at and you physically could not leave out of the starting 11. So... We'll talk about that in further detail. Um, I don't know whether you want to talk about anything else in regards to England. I would love to to hear maybe one or two rogue shouts for the squad now that injuries are starting to creep in. So, um, form, is, form is dropping. One player we haven't spoken about that always seems to be in and around the squad and got a few games in the last tournament for me is Tyrone Mings. That shouldn't... You know, I think the benefit for him to get around the squad was having a left foot playing in a back three. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think he should be in the question this time around. Um, so this this was actually going to be my last positive to all the listeners who've bared with us for a full hour of football chat. Um, the one last positive is I can't remember. England have had better squads. Uh, mm-hmm. There's been the likes of, I mean, obviously they're so biased as well, but like Ferdinand and Shearer have been told to compare us to 2002 and things like that. A, completely com unfair because you're comparing entire careers to some of the young lads who've not really had their go um yeah 
I mean, but, well, we also, in back in those squads, like you had people like Danny Mills getting games in the starting 11. Like we had. I was going to say, going into good, 2002, Neville picked up an injury. Sinclair started games. Darius Vassell started games. Um, had a really so, strong 1 to 12, maybe, or mm-hmm. even like 1 to 9. And then you were finding odd jobs and misfits. So yeah. my, last, my last point was that our squad. The fact that Southgate, if he wanted to, could name 55 players. I don't think that article is necessarily true, but like he, he probably could. It's a weakness and a strength. So to your point on rogue shouts, there's it's it's one for our squad builder, maybe. But I'm looking at people like Ben White, who hasn't had loads of look-ins recently. He definitely, for me, should be there. Um, someone like Eberichi Eze, who's just struck a bit of form, is nice and interesting enough that I could see him, yeah, I could see him being an option just on pure interest. He's just picked up an injury as well, but someone like uh, Carl Walker-Peters, if you're starting to get nervous about your squad depth um, because you have a few injuries, he's the type of person that you want in because they can play a few positions. So just top of my head, there are a few players, and Madison, again, is another one yeah. I think has to go hasn't yeah. been included so far so they're my rogue shouts I guess Eze is the most interesting one of those I think he just misses out for me but you never know if you get another injury or two yeah absolutely I think Eze yeah I mean I like Eze a lot and I think he'll be a player that will get a big move but it'd be it'd be great to see him get an England opportunity um yeah I mean I'm, I'm sort of looking down the line you've probably looked at Walker Peters because of the injuries at, at right back and right wing back yeah um I have similar in terms of, you know, Kyle Walker, if you're playing a back five, is the the absolute definite right-sided centre-half because of his pace, his positioning, his ability. Um, you're obviously, if you're looking at Stones being out as well. He's, is there... He's not going to be a car runner. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> we nearly got a full episode without one of those. Um, yeah, sorry, had to had to bring the level down. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, for me, one player who you'll know that I've picked up for an extended period of time, um, who I don't think fills Joe the Gomez, void yeah. because because it's he's more Absolutely, Joe Gomez. I think oh Joe, Joe Gomez is statistically our quickest player in the Liverpool squad. Um, defensively, very good. Has got significantly better aerially. Um. And I think he could do a really good job as a right side centre half. And the other one is not a player I would ever expect to start in the World Cup, but to be that 26th man. The way, you know, well, Ming started a few games in the last Euros, but I, would, I, would, I wouldn't expect this man to start. But I think he gives you depth. I think he covers the left side at centre half role, being a left footer well, um, and could play as a left back as he is for club level at the minute. And it's Dan Byrne. And I think it's an interesting shout for a potential significant outsider who hasn't got anywhere near the squad to date. But you know, Newcastle are sixth. We're talking about the top seven teams, really, if you're bringing Liverpool into it, being the elite of England. Newcastle have gone about their business. Trippier is likely a starter. He's Newcastle's right back. You know, their left back's doing very well this season as well. Yeah, I think Dan Byrne's an interesting one because... Is it just a case of a good bit of, like, how good actually is he? Is it a case that he's had a bit of good form? Newcastle have 
timed it right. Eddie Howe's done a great job because there's a few players who really come on. Joel Linton, Al Moron. Mm. Um, he's making more than the sum of their parts, I would say. Yeah. Um, to me, Dan Byrne feels like one who dies on the hill of because he's so wed to Maguire. Dan mm. Byrne is too similar. Um, and I know that's not, they're not like necessarily, if you were replacing Maguire at Manchester United, you wouldn't necessarily pick Dan Byrne. But how I mean is um, they are the same age or certainly a similar age. Um, they're both absolutely massive units who aren't the most mobile of footballers. So, um, yeah, that seems to me like it might be a more of a straight shout. But may- maybe in the next episode, you pick him in your squad. I I don't. He'll, he'll go in my squad, and I'll explain in further detail why he's in my squad. But, um, yeah, that sounds good. Enjoyed this, Rob, and yeah, yeah, looking, is... looking forward to getting into the squad in a little bit more detail. Um, I don't think it's as doom. Yeah, I don't think it's as doom and gloom for England as I made it out to be. And um, yeah, there's a lot of significant positives to look forward to. But I, I'm I'm really excited to look at the three underdogs that we've covered. And um, yeah, I'll be going out to buy my Uruguay top next week. Perfect. It's a it's a tight a tight number um, from what I remember certainly in the past. So make sure you've done a few press ups before squeezing into that one. Um, yeah, I'll I'll spend my money maybe on the Denmark top instead. Um, I do not yeah. have enough time to try and fit into the Uruguay one. So um... beautiful, beautiful the Denmark one this year with the uh, toned down sponsors. Yeah, I saw that. We'll not go into that that conversation now, but um, yeah. It'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to this. has got me a little bit more excited for the World Cup. This is probably the least excited I've been for the World Cup just because it's interrupting a club season. Um, but yeah, this has got me thinking about it a little bit more. So I've enjoyed it. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of excitement, I, I semi agree. One of the things, obviously, a bit older now and you have to work, I think. And this isn't being xenophobic. It's just that it's a jar of cultures from what you normally associate with the World Cup. But yeah, yeah. maybe it being in Qatar's a, a funny one. And there's yeah, we're not a, we're not a political pod, but it's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's screamingly obvious why people aren't necessarily happy that that's the case. Um, yeah. But I was just I was just going to finish with the fact that you are putting Dan Byrne in your squad as a spoiler for next week's episode. If that doesn't really want to make you turn in, then I don't know what will. Tune yeah. in, not turn in. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, I'm looking forward to it. We'll uh, we'll be back in a week, and um, yeah, we'll reveal all in the 26 man squad. I would say we, we would try to announce the 55 man squad, but um, yeah, we'll be here for hours and hours. So we'll we'll just zone in the 26. Perfect. Sounds good, John. We've Excellent. been over the football, over the top football, even. <laughs> and we'll catch you next week. Do you want to do that?